as of December 1st of this month, um, we had 82.1% of that either in the bank or pledged, which means uh, that we only need to raise an additional 17.9% to get all the way there and to get home. Um, the reason I'm telling you this, uh, and the reason I'm telling you this is that it has always been our heart, it has always been our hope that we'd be a resourcing church for church planting, that we'd be able to resource new churches getting started, which is why uh, of the 250 that we're trying to raise this December, 25 of it is going to our next Sojourn Church plant. Uh, and us getting there, us getting to the 2.2 by next October, uh, will go a long way to us being in a healthy financial position to be able to, to go forward and be and remain the church planting church that we um, have always been. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, let's talk Luke. Uh, Luke was uh, a letter. It's one of the Gospels. The, the Bible is broken into uh, the Old Testament, which came before Jesus, the Gospels, which narrate the life of Jesus, and then the New Testament letters and epistles that come um, after Christ came. Luke is one of those four Gospels, and it was written to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus was a Roman citizen, likely a government official, uh, and he wrote this letter to him uh, so that he would have a clear picture of Jesus, a clear picture of the implications of Christian faith on life and uh, what it looked like to be a Roman citizen in the world. And what's interesting to me, what I really find fascinating about the way that Luke wrote this letter is that Theophilus was, was a Christian convert. Uh, but the way that Luke writes it, he, he doesn't assume any knowledge. He doesn't assume, if I could say it this way, that the story of Christianity has fully redefined Theophilus's Roman story, or it hasn't fully changed the way that Theophilus sees the world yet. And so in these opening chapters of the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke is drawing Theophilus into the story, and in drawing him into the story, he is drawing us into the story, drawing us into the Advent story, this Advent story that will run counter to the default vision for life of both ancient Roman culture and our modern Western culture. So let me try to tell you what I mean. Um, we're probably going to do a show of hands for this, but uh, if you take a Lyft, Uber, or a cab, uh, how many of you talk to the drivers? Show of hands. That is way more than I expected. I have never been more proud of you all than I am at this moment <laughs> right now. Um, well, I do. Um, I'm one of the ones who talk to them. It's like a competitive sport for me to get them to talk to me. Uh, it's a sickness, really. Um, if they give me one-word answers, I will keep asking questions until I get a full sentence out of them. This week, I had a driver who, um, British guy in his early 60s, uh, we started talking, talking life. It's, you know, six minutes from here to my house. We don't have much time. We've got to get right to the punch. Um, <laughs> he, he told me about his professional career, about success and failures over the years. Then he told me about the divorce he just went through. I said, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry to hear that. This is what he said. He said, it happens. But here's the thing. I still have my health and I still have my wealth. And that's what life is all about. I still have my health. I still have my wealth, and that's what life is all about. Why am I telling you the story? Because that is my driver's vision for life. It's what, life, it's what makes life meaningful, significant, my health and my wealth. And it was not that different from the ancient Roman vision for life. What Theophilus would have grown up believing, health and wealth, and here's how we get it. We're Roman citizens. We get it through conquest. We get, it, we get it through 
military advancement, health and wealth. And Advent, Advent is the story of God coming as a baby, a vulnerable baby. Advent is the story of God establishing his kingdom on earth through the womb of an obscure woman in a middle-of-nowhere town. This was the inversion of the Roman vision for the good life. It would have turned the Roman world upside down, but not just the Roman world, our world. Advent is a story of God coming as a baby to redefine everything, everything. And so last week, we met Mary, the virgin mother of Jesus. And this week in the story, Luke is going to continue with Mary. And in this, uh, we, we are going to, as he progresses with Mary, uh, learn a, a bit about the breadth of the Advent story. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that Advent is personal, Advent is communal, Advent is social, and Advent is patience. Personal, communal, social, and patient. So let's get started. Advent is personal. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. All right, so what's going on right here? Mary has left her home. She's traveled a pretty good distance to get to to, uh, Elizabeth. She shows up and she greets her. The question is why? Why did she do this? Well, um, here's where we were at last week. This is where we kind of landed things last week. Um, That this angel showed up to Mary uh, and said, hey, Mary, listen, I understand that you are a virgin, but you're going to be pregnant. You're going to have a child. This child is going to be Jesus. This is what he is going to do. And listen, I, I know that you're struggling to believe this. I know that you have some doubts swelling up in you. And so let me give you um, a few points of evidence. Uh, and here's one of them. One of them um, is your relative Elizabeth. She is well beyond childbearing years and you know it. So you can go and look and you can see for yourself. And so what is Mary doing here? Mary traveled the distance, I think, in hunt of assurance, wanting to find out, is it really true? Is she actually pregnant? I want to go and I want to see for myself. Mary was looking for proof. And one of the things I really love about the way that Luke portrays Mary in these opening chapters of the letters, he just, he just shows the human side of Mary. He just shows the human side of Mary. Last week, from the progression, from doubt to questions to trust, to let it be to this week, this week, while finishing last week with let it be, let it be, I, I trust you. This week, she still wants proof. She still goes to Elizabeth to see. And I think that in writing and um, portraying this human side of Mary, he, he portrays a side that a lot of us can identify with, can't we? This, I, I trust you, and I, st- I still need proof. I do, I do, I trust you, but, I, but I'd like a little bit of evidence. I'd like to know that it's true. Let's keep reading. Verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, let's talk about how to read the Gospel of Luke real quick. It's important that you know um, that the Scriptures, and, and, and Luke in particular, this is not a you know, a newspaper that you might read on your iPad. It's not just giving kind of facts and data and figures and percentages. It's not a textbook. 
It's a narrative. It's a story. It's introducing characters and developing characters along the way to bring us into this full picture of who Jesus is and what the story of Christ is. And so if we're going to read these opening chapters, we, we can't read them as if it's um, you know, a, a, a puzzle piece to just move this here, check You've got to enter into the story. You've got to be able to put yourself in the story, put yourself in Mary's shoes and try to see what she saw, hear what she heard, feel what she felt. And so when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, the baby leaps in her womb, she says this. Now, now try to hear it the way Mary would have heard it. The first thing she says, blessed are you among women. Mary, Mary, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary, listen, I, I know you came searching for assurance, and listen to me, blessed are you among women. I know the angel showed up and said, you have found favor with God, and I know that you didn't really believe him, but listen to me, Mary, you, you are blessed. You have it. All that he said to you is true. It's true. Mary was searching for assurance, and in this interaction, in this immediate interplay when she walks into the house, says, uh, greets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth responds, the assurance she was looking for, she found. Looking for assurance, and again, in a way that we can identify with Mary, I, I think is something that really sits underneath a lot of us. Searching for assurance, wanting to know God loves me, God is for me, God is with me, I can believe God's words. Searching for that assurance is something that a lot of us wrestle with. I know that because when we have pastoral counseling sessions, one of the most common things we interact with is the wrestle over assurance. And so what I find a lot of encouragement for us in this story is the way in which Luke portrays Mary, this human side of Mary, that says, hey, listen, keep, keep searching, but search for assurance where God says to search for it, his church, his people, his word. I meant to say. Let's keep reading verse 43. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord it should come to me? This is Elizabeth. Why would this, why me? Why would the mother of my Lord come to me? Again, hear what Mary heard. Hear what Mary heard in there. The mother of my Lord. Why would the mother of my Lord come to me? She would have heard, listen, all that the angels said about you, all that the angels said about your baby, it's true. It's true, Mary. It's true. Let's keep reading. Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary. Mary, blessed are you for believing, for trusting, no matter what it would cost. And listen, Mary, it's going to cost you. You, 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 are, you are a betrothed virgin. You, you could lose the husband-to-be. It might cost you, it might cost you life and, and your place in society. It might put you on the margins. Blessed are you for believing Bless you for trusting, but there's something I want us to see. I need us to, to pause here, if we will. Because Luke 1, he has been developing Mary along the way. 
And Mary's about to respond. Mary's about to go from questions or doubts to questions to, to trust to assurance to response. Uh, but throughout this opening chapter so far, there's a theme, a thread that Luke has been developing. And it's this. It's this theme of hearing and sound. So just in our, for example, in the two verses we just read, 44 and 45, um, you have this, the sound of greeting came to my ears, believed what was spoken to her. Language like this is woven throughout chapter 1 of Luke. Why? Well, because there's a larger story in the Bible. Luke is part of a larger biblical narrative, and the story began like this. It began in Genesis 1 with creation, creation beginning with words that God spoke, God saying, let there be light. And then in Genesis 3, Satan comes to Eve, and and he speaks. He speaks to Eve. He says, did God really say that you can't eat of that tree? Come on, surely, surely you, you you, you can eat of it. Surely he didn't mean what he said. Did he really say that? Satan twisting the words. And then Genesis 3, 6 says this. So when the woman, after listening to Satan, after hearing Satan, So when the woman saw, saw, eyes, that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and then she gave it to her husband. And here was the net result. The net result was that they were naked, as they had been, but now they were naked and ashamed. So now, what happens is that she has changed, they have changed the way that they see themselves from naked and it being beautiful to naked and it being shameful. And see, it didn't just change the way they saw themselves, it changed the way they saw God's world. And here's what Luke is introducing. What Luke is introducing into the narrative is that the story of Advent is a message that you believe that changes the way you see. It's a message you believe that changes the way you see, the way you see yourself, the way you see the world, and now as we hit Mary's response, watch how the way that she sees changes. Verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord, and in my spirit, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary's response is this, worship, just blows up in worship right away. My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices. But that verse 47, that verse 47, my spirit rejoices and God my Savior. This was a quote from the Old Testament, but not just any quote. It was language that was liturgical language. It was verses that they said on repeat when they gathered it together. And the point of that, the point of that is that what we see here, if we could get into the mind and heart of Mary, is we see Mary starting to see herself as part of the story. Mary is shifting the way that she sees herself. Let's keep reading. Verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now on all gener- now all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. My humble estate. He has looked on my humble estate. That word means to be low in social status, to be someone who is not highly thought of. She was not esteemed by her neighbors. Now, now. So now all generations will call me blessed. Why? Because God has done great things for me. 
God has done great things for me. That's the point. Advent is personal. Advent is personal. It changed the way that Mary saw herself. So what do we learn about Advent right here? Advent is obviously about Jesus. It is obviously about Christ. But it's not just about Christ. It's also about Mary. And it's also about you. Advent is about you. It's about you. That has the power to change the way you see yourself. Let me illustrate. Listen. You are not unwanted. Christ came for you. You are not unloved. Christ came for you. You are not unimportant. Christ came for you. You are not alone. Christ came for you. We can do that a thousand more times. Here's the question. Has it? Has it changed the way that you see yourself? Has the story of God coming as a baby to rescue you, has it changed the way that you see yourself? Because listen, if you, if you look back and you go, yeah, but I, I am kind of unwanted. I, no, nobody actually wants me around them. I generally do spend most of my life feeling unloved then you, you're not fully actualizing, fully realizing the Advent story. You're not fully living into the Advent story because the Advent story says that God came for you. You are not unwanted. You are not unloved. He came for you. Whether you are a social elite, margins of society, you're not unwanted. He came for you. Advent is personal. It changes the way we see ourselves. But it's not just personal. It's also communal. Verse 50, and his mercy, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy, mercy being God's gracious initiative, God taking the initiative to restore the broken relationship between man and God. And who is it for? It is for those who fear him, those whose lives are marked by a reverent awe and obedience to God. But again, Mercy for those who fear him. This is also Old Testament liturgical language. This is Old Testament liturgical language for Israel. Why does that matter? Because here's what we see. We see Mary realizing that this Advent story is going to redefine Israel's story. It's going to redefine Israel's story from generation to generation. Their story could be different because of the baby that is going to come through my womb, which is why she can say in verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, Abraham, and to his offspring forever. To, to, to kind of enter into the story here, we've got to remember that um, leading up to this, there were four, 450 years of silence. And no, no prophet speaking for God to Israel. Silence. And so there's no doubt in that silence, Mary and others would have begun to doubt. They would have begun to question, to wonder, to wonder, is the mercy of God still for us? Is it still for us? Have we in our rebellion lost it for good? Is it no longer ours? And Mary is stepping in here and saying, uh, no, you have not lost it forever, that the Bible is a story of mercy, mercy that is unchanging, mercy that redefines stories. So here's the point. 
It doesn't just redefine individuals' stories, but it, it, it redefines communities' stories. It changed Israel's story. That Advent is about you, but not just about you. Advent is about us, the people that God came for. It changed Israel's and can change our stories. It changed the way that Mary saw Israel from a people wayward, being punished, to a people who are objects of God's mercy. And Advent changes the way that we see each other. It changes the way that we see the church from a dispenser of religious goods and services to a redeemed family caught up in a global story. From a place I cannot express my doubts to a safe home I can wrestle with people who love me. From a place I have to smile to a place that's safe to cry. Has it changed for you? Has the story of Advent redefined the way that you see the church? Is it still those things? Do you still wear the pretend smile while on the inside you're dying? Do you still believe that I, I, I can't wrestle with doubt? It's not safe here to wrestle with doubt. To ask questions. Has it changed for you? Has the story of Advent redefined the church for you? Advent is personal. It's about you, but it's not just about you, it's about us. It's communal, but not just us, it's also social. There are social implications to the story of Advent. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. This is like a zoom lens on society right here. Um, God is saying that in, saying in his might, God has overpowered the powerful, scattered the proud. And in the context here, this is um, a reference to social elites, not just any social elites, but I'll explain that in a second. The ones who in their hearts look around and go, man, I'm just above you. Like, I'm above you. So he's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Why is this talking about social elites? How do we know that? Let's keep reading verse 52 and 53. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Again, that word humble estate, it's the this word that means bottom of society or the, the poor and the needy. The, those who are often looked upon as a problem, a barrier to, to a society's flourishing. And Advent says those at the bottom of society get lifted up, and those at the top get brought down. And it levels the playing field. But not just um, anyone at the top of society, not just any of the social elites. This filled the hungry, sent the rich away empty. L listen to D.A. Carson talking about the language the, that Luke used here and how it has social implications. This language is a reference to economic poverty and political oppression. The Messiah acted on their behalf by bringing the kingdom of God with its associated blessings and by pronouncing God's judgment on the proud and rich, who would have been understood as owing their position to injustice. So the point is not, not simply casting judgment on the rich, but on those who oppressed people to become rich. I'm going to say it again, because for those of us who think that Christianity is simply a message of how I get to heaven and has no vertical, horizontal, social implications. I want to say that phrase again. 
I'm going to read the end of that again. Those, this is D.A. Carson, who would have been understood as owing their position to injustice. It's saying that those who oppress people to get wealthy will be brought down. This is the heart of Luke's message about Advent. And this would have been a counter to ancient Roman and all too often modern Western society and vision where the mighty are mighty and the poor are in the way. And Jesus says, no, they're not. Advent is a story that says no one is in the way. All should be lifted up. Jesus came to bring up the poor and the oppressed and to bring down the oppressor. And how? How did he do it? How did he lift up the vulnerable? By coming as a vulnerable baby, experiencing what it was like to be at the bottom of society and identifying with the poor and the marginalized. And how did he bring down the oppressor? Not through Roman military might, but by going to the cross and experiencing oppression himself. By going to the cross and experiencing judgment and what it was like to be cast aside on the cross. When you see this, like when, when this heartbeat of Advent like sinks in, when it just like wrestles into you, you, you can see that the gospel says that the poor are no worse than anyone and the rich and middle class are no better than anyone. They're not. Advent levels the playing field. Advent says that Jesus became vulnerable so that you can work for the vulnerable. There are social implications to the story of Advent. That Advent is it's about you, not just you, it's about us, and not just about us, but it's about our neighbor. And it's working for the vulnerable and the marginalized around us and among us. But there's one other thing, one other piece to this puzzle that Luke is going to give us, and it's that Advent is patient. It's patient. Where do we get that? Verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Why did she stay for three months? I don't know. No idea. A lot of theories in the commentaries. None of them are compelling. Um, could it be that uh, Elizabeth was six months pregnant and she wanted to stay for the birth? Maybe. Maybe that could have been. The truth is, though, that we do not know specifically why, but here's what we do know. We do know this, that she sat still, that she was present, that she was there, that she went from doubt to question to trust to assurance to worship, and then what she did not do was just take off running. She just sat still. She sat still. Some of us need to learn the art of sitting still. She just sat still. She learned the art of patience. Why? Advent. Advent is patience. It's the story of God slowly working to make all things right. How does this connect to the rest of our story, our text? like this. Advent is personal. It's about Jesus coming to change your life, to change the way that you see your life. But that change takes time. It takes time. It's slow. And most often, 
Most often that change happens when you learn to sit still. It's communal. It's communal. Communal change takes time. Advent is about us being able to be patient with one another as God has been patient with us. As God slowly worked out his redemptive story, we can slowly let it work out in one another's lives. We can have the patience of Jesus with one another. We can hope for who we might become without condemning and judging one another, without being overbearing with the expectation that you would be where I demand you to be now. We can be patient with one another. And then Advent is social. We can work for the good of our neighbors without being overcome and overwhelmed with the lack of speed and change in society. We can be patient. Because whether it's your life, whether it's us, whether it's the state of our world, much of the Christian life is a learned patience. Learning to breathe and let God do what God is going to do because change is slow. And that is not a sexy modern Western message. Not in our Instagram world, which is not a real world, by the way. Advent is personal. Advent is communal. Advent is social. And Advent is patience. And when we enter into the Advent story, when we actualize the Advent story, we can have the patience of Jesus with ourselves and with one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the Scriptures. Thank you for Luke. Thank you for the angle that Luke took as he wrote to Theophilus on how oh, we can see ourselves in the story, enter into it, and we can have the, the same patience the patience that gets displayed in our text with ourselves and with one another. Would it mark us? Would it mark us as a people? Would we be defined less by the speed of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and more by the pace of Mary? Would that shape us? Would that be a beautiful picture of an alternate way to live to one another and to our neighbors? And would we be people who take the social implications of Advent seriously? Would we be people who take the communal implications seriously? And would it change the way that we see ourselves? God help us. We need it. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.